Welcome again to the Brahazas podcast channel. We're so glad you're here. Hey, if you are here for the first time, special welcome to you. Uh, we're so glad that you found us here online. If you want to know more about us and the church, you can visit our website prayerhouse.uk. That's prayerhouse.uk. In a moment, we're going to be hearing from Pete, who shared with us a couple Sundays ago about a beautiful prayer that you and I can be praying every day of our lives. So as we get into it, can I just pray for us at this very moment? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this beautiful time that we get to hear from your word, from the beautiful scriptures that you have blessed us with. Lord, speak to us, edify us, build us up, sanctify us, and let these words bring salvation to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Um, good morning. I just wanted to quickly pray and then share something with you, which I think the Lord would have us know. Um, I hope that you'll forgive me for being early with this one, but it is kind of Christmas related. So forgiveness, please. Um, <laughs> it's only the incarnation of the living God and human flesh. It's a small part of what we believe, really. Um, but Father, I thank you that you are here to deliver us from evil and establish your kingdom in the earth and expand its borders to fill the whole world. Lord, we look around and there is much to do and so much we'd like you to do. Um, but my prayer is that we would be so in tune with you that you could ask anything from us and we'll do it. Thank you for that gracious invitation to be part of what you're doing, to change the world and to save it. We're humbled by it, Lord God. We're always humbled by you. And um, we are in awe. Um, amen. Um, the thing I'd like to say is about um, my and our need for Jesus. And I thought I'd kind of frame it a little bit by going over some old scriptures. They're all old. But... Um, some testimonies from people long before Jesus about Jesus. And in a way, that's kind of impossible. But when Jesus appeared, he made a lot of very important claims and others made claims about him. So I thought before we get really rocking and rolling with the Christmas season, it'd be really good for us to revisit what it is that Jesus came to be and what kind of an arrival of God's nature that meant for everybody. And so the first one I'm going to look at, I'm sorry, Laura, I probably should have given these all to you away in advance, shouldn't I? <laughs> Welcome. Um, right, the first one is from Isaiah chapter 9, and we're looking for verses um, 2. And we'll go down to, uh, actually, we'll start from verse 1 up to verse 7. So this was written around about 700 years or so before Jesus appeared, which sounds like a long time. If you go in British history, you're back to knights and castles and crusades. Long, long time, 700 years. And um, 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah came with a message to the people of Israel who had lived in a, a state of relative security for a while. Um, he was speaking in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was the place where God had decided to put his name. 
He said, my name will be in Jerusalem and that's where I'm going to live. That's where I'm going to be. If you want to look for me there, you'll find me. And David had worshipped God there and Solomon had built the temple. And when Solomon built the temple and prayed, the spirit of God had powerfully come to arrive within the temple and demonstrate the power of God, the glory of God in a way that people had just never seen. And so God took up residence in Jerusalem in a way that was absolutely unarguable. The people were amazed. Everybody's cried and screamed and fallen on the floor and everything is amazing. And God took up residence there. And when he did that, a lot of people felt that that would last forever. And what God had said is that my name will be there and I'll, I'll live there and that's where I'll be. And that gave the people a certain sense of security about what else they might do with their week. Because if God is here and he loves us and he cares about us and he's faithful and he's powerful, then what have we got to worry about? Very little. And sometimes being secure and provisioned and prosperous makes us lazy, actually. And we sort of forget about our need for God. And this happened to the nation as a whole. And gradually they got very lazy with the way that they looked for God and asked for God and followed God. And eventually things got really bad. So bad, in fact, that God gave Isaiah a bit of an announcement. He said, listen, I'm making an end of it all. Um, there's two kingdoms, uh, one of, of the northern kingdom of Israel, one of the southern kingdom of Judah. And I'm going to allow the northern kingdom to be completely obliterated by the neighboring Assyrians. Small historical fact you can read about it if you like. But you're not going to be destroyed in Jerusalem by the Assyrians. No, you've got some time on your hands and it's time for you to turn to me, to look for me, to follow me and do what I want. And um, the people didn't do very well with that little job. And eventually Isaiah announces ahead of time that because of their disobedience, because they've forsaken God, he's actually going to leave and he's going to allow the temple where he lives to be demolished and destroyed and overtaken. The whole country is going to go. There's going to be a, a Babylonian king that comes from the east and from the north and he's going to attack and he's going to destroy everything. And God's going to let him. He's saying, this is it. I'm, I'm, you've forsaken my covenant. You broke it. It's broken. It's gone. And so God removes himself and allows the temple to be bulldozed, the sacred objects are desecrated and some of them are carried off to Babylon. The people of, of Israel are captured as slaves or left destitute. Their homes are all burned down. It's just utterly awful. So this happens about 200 years after Isaiah writes this. But Isaiah, way before it happens, or maybe a bit less than that, maybe 150 to 100 years, um, Isaiah, way before this happens, he said, God is announcing this in advance, but he's also announcing that that's not the end, the end. It's not the end of everything that God has promised you, the people of Israel or God's children, wherever they may be. Even though he's going to scatter us to the nations and even though he's going to bulldoze the temple and even though he's going to allow our country to be overrun, we're actually not going to give up because there's these promises that mean God will live again among people. God will um, live in Jerusalem. He'll come to Jerusalem and 
He'll establish the king of Jerusalem. He'll bring a king and have a kingdom that will expand and fill the whole world. And all these other things besides, and this is very good news for the people. In truth, they didn't, even though they heard this in advance, they didn't really repent fully. You know, they had a fair warning, but they just lost, they missed their opportunity to, tra- to change and do what God wanted. But the testimony is nevertheless still here. We've still got it. It's great. So I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 9, just those first few verses there. But there will not be any gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought contempt into the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee. Ever heard of that? I like Galilee. Of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. The ones who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you at the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppression, you have broken it in on the day as, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment dipped in blood will be burned as fuel in the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the rule shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. For on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it, with justice and righteousness from now and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this is a precious promise that God gives Isaiah in advance of this terrible destruction that's about to happen. He said, don't worry, one day a baby will be born. And it's like, need a bit more than a baby. But he's like, no, it's not going to be just any baby. We're going to have a baby who's going to rise up and reestablish the kingdom. He's going to bring the kingdom of God back into the world. And there's going to be a king from David's line, and he's going to establish justice and righteousness and government of God. And the kingdom's going to expand to fill the whole earth, no less. And it's just going to be the everlasting kingdom. God's going to reinstitute it. It's the zeal of the Lord that's going to do this. And this baby is going to be called Everlasting Father. It's a bit scandalous. That's one of God's titles. Ditto Prince of Peace. The thing is that there had to be a someone who could do what humans could not do. The problem is that if God gives us some requirements, we are never going to actually fulfill them by our own strength. We're always going to fall short a bit, at least, and a lot some of the time. And so we need him to arrive. This precious promise, hundreds of years before it actually took place, was there to be sort of safeguarded by the people in and amongst the disaster of the overthrow and destruction of their whole country, which I I know in Britain it's hard to imagine because historically, you know, we've been kept quite safe from being properly destroyed you know, maybe the Blitz and, and World War II and things were, were just about awful. I mean, evacuating the children and blowing up London and things, it was really, really bad. But we haven't been sort of invaded and destroyed for a long time. 
Other countries in the world, they get invaded and destroyed on the reg. You know, they <laughs> come and live in Ukraine and very difficult for them. So what we need is a someone to arrive and to change how things are. Because in our present state, we see that not yet everything has been done. Not everything has yet been achieved. We need the Messiah. So when Jesus appeared and was born in um, a manger and then grew up in Galilee, he started to say some things that made people think, is this it? Is this the person? Is this the person? But this wasn't the only text they had to go on. I'm going to quickly read another one. So this is from Micah, and it's chapter 5. And Micah and Isaiah lived at roughly the same time. Park that there for historical detail. And I'm going to read Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, but from you shall come forth for me someone who is to be a ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he will give them up until the time that she who is in labor gives birth. And the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure, for he now will be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace." It's another very exciting promises, but, but, but it includes the caveat of like, well, it's going to be really bad for a while. He's going to literally abandon us. Ezekiel, one of the later prophets, he has a vision where he actually sees God's manifest presence and glory get up off of the Ark of the Covenant, leave the temple, leave the city, go up to a high hill and return to heaven. This glory of God departed the people. Oh, such devastation to be abandoned. And let me tell you, as a pastor and a pastoral person and worker over the years, I have met some people who have felt utterly forsaken by God. And it destroys you. The very idea that God could abandon what he once loved is so devastating for our health, for our future, for our mind. The promise is that we have received, that the Lord will never forsake us. I'll be with you always, he said. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything in this age or the age to come could ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But that's big and new. The people of this time didn't know about that. They didn't really know about Jesus. They didn't understand that, that somebody was coming to represent God in the world in that way. And it's Micah who says, look, there'll be a baby born in Bethlehem. And we're going to have, he's somehow going to be a baby, but he's going to be from before that. He's going to be from ancient times somehow. Who knows how? I don't know how. I'm just writing it. This is what God told me to say. <laughs> Nobody really knew what it meant. But in Bethlehem, six or seven centuries later, was born a baby. You know, when Jesus appeared and started to preach and everyone was like, maybe it's the Messiah. Maybe it's that person, that baby that was born and promised. And the religious scribes were all like, oh, really? Uh, where's he from? And they say, oh, well, he's from Nazareth. And they say, oh, check the Bible, mate. 
there's no one born in Nazareth is supposed to come. That's not what's supposed to be. But obviously they didn't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and then lived as a refugee and had to um, enter illegally, immigrate into the land of Egypt for a while and then go back. And we all have compassion for those who feel driven to such a movement. Um, final scripture I'm going to read to you is from Jeremiah. And this is Jeremiah chapter 33. Because I want to bring this into focus to see that this is a, a, a spiritual matter of which we should think of the authority of God to predict ahead of time that which takes place among us. And the Bible teaches us that every matter should be established by two or three witnesses rather than just one. Because it's like you can take a scripture out of context and kind of make it say whatever you want, can't you? But this is the clear, guttural cry of a desperate people. They need a savior. They need a deliverer. The kingdom, the temple, the priests, the worship, the money, the economy, the homes of everyone are about to be obliterated. And that means we need, we have great need of a savior. So I'm just going to read out this piece of chapter 33, which starts, Laura, from verse 14. I'm just going to read four verses. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and in that time, I'm going to cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved Jerusalem will live in security, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David will never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levites will never lack a person in my presence to offer the offerings, grain offerings, and make sacrifices forever. So God says in the exile, after the disaster, so Try, try and do a, a history journey with me. So Isaiah speaks and we're living in relative security and he says it's all going to come down. It's all going to be a disaster. God's going to let everything come to pieces. Then it does. And then everyone remembers, oh, yeah, in the disaster prophecy, there was also a prophecy that somebody would come and sort of get everything going again. There'd be a king and a priest and a temple and a throne and a kingdom and an economy and freedom and stuff. That's coming too, Right. And then Jeremiah says, yes, yes, it is coming. There's going to be a, a renewal of this covenant promise. So before this, when David was alive, God said, listen, that guy before you, Saul, he was a bit of a problem because I made him king, but he abandoned me. So I've stepped back from him, left into his madness. But you, David, I'm very pleased with you. And you are going to have a person, a descendant from you, who's going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. That's my promise to you. And so every son of the king that kind of, the, as the line passes down, you know, um, King George to Queen Elizabeth to Charles to William, etc. It's the same with them. So they, they've got a, a line of David and the, the royal kings come. But eventually there comes the last king of Israel. Uh, I think they are killed off and and. Their kingdom is destroyed in 587 BC, which is more than five centuries before Jesus came. The kingdom is gone. There's no more kingdom. 
No king, no kingdom, no throne, no palace, no temple, no nothing. And there was an exile. So all through the exile, people are realising quite how sorry they are that they abandoned the way that God had laid out for them. And they are determined all of a sudden to return from exile and start it up again because of the promises about there being a, a king and a priest and a temple and a, a throne and a land and, and everything, right? We're so excited. Let's go back there and set it all up. And so back they go after 70 odd years of exile and hundreds of years before Jesus, they've got candidates. There's supposed to be a high priest. Well, we've got a high priest candidate. There's supposed to be a son of David. We need to sit on the throne. Oh, we found one. Good news. We need a temple. Well, let's build a temple then. We'll build it out of whatever we've got. It's not very good though. It's a bit sad. The Bible says that some people who saw the new temple get built cried because it was so rubbish compared to the old one. It's like, well, we've kind of got a temple and we've kind of got a son of David and we've kind of got a high priest and we've kind of got some prophets and we're kind of back on track, right? And it's so sad for them because God actually says, oh, got some more to say. And he says, listen, the priests, I'm saying yes. We'll have priests, we'll have sacrifices, we'll have the festivals, we'll have the, the deal with the priests in the temple. That's a yes. Temple, build me a house, he says through Haggai. You know, don't build up your own wood paneled houses and then forget about my house. We're building my house. Build a house. Yes, temple. Yes, society, culture righteousness. Let's do it the right way. Let's live out our faithfulness in, in community like we're supposed to. That's a yes. But the king, that's a no. I'm saying no for now. But Lord, we want a king. You said there wouldn't ever be a lack for a person to sit on the throne of David and be a king of, of your kingdom on earth. And God's like, I've got a candidate. Boy, have I ever got a candidate my own son in heaven, and he's going to be born. But you have to wait. And the people, when they realized that the kingdom was not coming, it's very, very hard for them spiritually. Because this was a promise from the scripture and everything through the mouth of the prophets testified to by all sorts of miracles and wonderful events that took place. And they're all like, but God, we need the kingdom back. We need the king. We, where is he? What are we supposed to be waiting for? And it's really hard when God says no. And some things that Jesus say make us think that if we just have to want it enough, then we'll get it, whatever it is. Lord, I really, really, really need a Ferrari. And somehow in his wisdom, he's saying no. And that's hard for me. It hurts my feelings. I'm like, oh, but God... You know, I'm a little child and he's dad. And I'm like, but I need it. I want it so much. And he's like, no, I can't. It won't be good for you. I've got something better for you in the future, which I do want you to have. But I need you to learn to trust me before I fill this one in. And so when Jesus is born, hardly anyone knows. It's like this hilariously elegant secret that God keeps from his people. There's a lot of risk, but as Mary breaks forth and gives birth to the precious Jesus, God has done something truly, truly miraculous. He has become 
God with us, God living in the world, God in human form, God with skin. And the only people there are Mary and Joseph. And then they can't keep the secret. So, you know, the thing about the shepherds and there's this whole chorus of angels that can't wait to tell someone. And for some reason, it's shepherds sat on a hillside watching their flocks who get to see. Or some foreigners traveling over from the east, they get to see. But all the religious Jewish people are just sleeping merrily in their beds, just getting on with life. And completely unknown to them, the secret person who will deliver us from evil for all time is being born in a human form. And I am staggered. I can't keep anything like that, that much of a secret. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I want to tell everyone. But there is a way in which Jesus is promised in advance to come and do something really tremendous. And he is coming, but it doesn't happen always at the very time that we want it to happen and in the very way we expect it to happen. The Jewish people, the Israelite nation, from the time of the exile right up until Jesus arrived, they tried many times to become the kingdom they thought God wanted them to be. The Maccabee revolt was a couple of hundred years before Jesus. That's why they do Hanukkah, um, which isn't sort of a part of Bible's history, but it's in there. And they, they tried a lot of times to create a king and a kingdom. And that's how they ended up with Herod, who wasn't Jewish and wasn't the king of the Jews, wasn't king of Israel, wasn't the one to come. But he liked to pretend that he was. But they, the people weren't fooled. The thing is that when God promises something, it's very tempting to sort of masquerade as if the promise was fulfilled and the thing has happened, when in fact it has not. That was Abraham's problem. Remember Abraham? And God sort of appeared to him and, and said, you know, I'm, before I'm going to come back again and visit you next year and your wife is going to have a son, a son in your old age. And Abraham thinks creatively and he's like, well, how do sons come along? What am I doing that I haven't tried yet? And he ends up having a son with one of his servant girls, which is a very bad idea. And um, not that any of you should have servant girls at all anyway, by the way. <laughs> not into that. Let's keep the redemption moving going. We're not into slavery. So the point is that if you try and make it come true because you're sure that it's right, there's a danger that even in your passionate pursuit of the things of God, you're still going to miss the thing that God has prepared for those who love him. And the delicate issue we have as a Bible-believing community is that lots and lots of exciting things have been promised for the community of God long into the future. And we're really excited because we know that where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. And we know that God is love and we know that the transforma transforming power of the Holy Spirit is such a miracle and such a glorious thing when we see it in people's lives. But every so often we can get a little bit tired of waiting for something. Do you ever feel like that? Good. I'm so glad, Holly, because I do. You know, we can pray and God can change a life and we can all celebrate and be glory, glory, hallelujah. It's very easy to do that when you're singing Christmas carols and, and feeling quite up for it. But every so often there is a bit of a time where we seek him and seek him and want to see the promise come true. And it can be tempting sometimes. I have seen people try and pretend that something has happened when in fact it hasn't. And it's, it's sad. 
But what I want for us and for you is to have so much confidence in Jesus and him showing up that we will be free from the anxiety and the worry that come with living in a time of upheaval and that we will be confident and sure-footed when we handle the things of God and share them with others. Because if we're still worried about whether or not it's true, up to and including the point where we pray for somebody, there's sometimes a bit of a holding back that we can do. We can try and cross the wires. Do you know what I mean? What I think God is saying to us is have total confidence in, in, in him, in Jesus. Have total confidence. And don't be afraid to try your hardest and do your best and have a go. Because if we just take the view that because God is great and he's got it all figured out, we can just sort of coast on this until the second coming, whenever that arrives, I think we'll miss it. I, I, maybe not miss the second coming. Every eye will see him. We're not going to miss it. We'll know when it happens. But the point is that we will miss out on lots of opportunities to see God at work. And if we will be faithful to him and walk with him in humility and faith, we will see him show up. He promised us that wherever two or three are gathered, I, Jesus, am there with you. Now, this, is, this has been a puzzle for me. I'll finish on this. Because it's like, how do you balance the idea that God is always everywhere? You can't go in the depths and hide from him. You can't sort of ascend the heights and escape him. He's everywhere all the time, right? So his presence is everywhere and he's just everywhere. But he says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. And I'd, I'd like to offer you this as a parting shot, just because it's, it's really precious to me. The thing is, I pray Come, Lord Jesus, because he is gone, right? I want him to come back, and he is coming back. Never forget that. He is in heaven at the right hand of God himself, and he is present by his spirit. But what we mean is, when he says, I'm going to be there, we don't just mean the way that the Holy Spirit is here all the time anyway, hovering over the waters and present in the fields and flowers and birds and bees and everything else. We mean that Jesus himself, in a really mysterious way, is actually here among us in a special way that's different to the everywhere all the time kind of a way. And that makes me excited because it makes me think that if I seek for him, I'll actually find him. And not in a general way of like learning to view the world through that lens or whatever, but in a really actual, special, proper way where I can get to know him and know the friend I have in Jesus and get to know his personality and his way and his love and his care and become like him. See, my great hope is not that we'll learn a lot of things and, and become slightly more well-educated. Yes, it is. But also, that the, <laughs> I think learning is good. What I really want for us is for us to be able to have such confidence in him to show up and deliver on his promises that we need fear nothing. Nothing true, nothing false. No change of king or kingdom. No exile, no home environment, no nothing. To live completely without fear and be completely able to carry that with us everywhere we go. So 
All this is to say that Jesus arrived because he'd been promised to arrive and not everybody understood the promise. But we need Jesus to arrive for us in our families now and in our homes and our businesses and our um, friendships now, don't we? We need him to come back again and make an end to the world as it is in the future as well. But I say, let's pray, come Lord Jesus into our life today and hope that something more than the general everywhere all the time blessing happens. Let's pray with an expectation that he will deliver on his promise, that he will be manifested among us, the glory of God in our midst. Can we do that together? All right, why don't we stand up and pray? And we'll just hail his arrival. And we just delight in him being who he is amongst us. Lord, I thank you so much that it has pleased you to live with us, to be one of us, to pour out your spirit and show us who you really are. We thank you that that is not a vague promise or a distant promise or a historic promise, but an actual real life living miracle. And as we stretch out our hands and we lift up our heads, because we're your children and you're our dad, we come expecting that you will give good gifts to your children. That you will be the perfect father we know you are. And that Jesus, you will be here with us in a way that we can feel. Oh Lord, make us expectant. Fill our hearts full of hope, Lord God. And let us shake off the tired, apathetic feeling we get sometimes when things don't happen the way we wanted them to. Let us have a fresh season of expectation that you will show up. We thank you for Christmas, which helps us remember. But we thank you that that is our living promise we can have every single day, that you will be present in our own bodies and in our own homes and in our own love. Oh, Jesus, please come. Come and be with us. We are so grateful that you have chosen to live amongst people and that you don't live in temples built by the hands of people, but you've come and brought yourself into our very flesh, into our hearts, to be Lord over our life. I want to ask you, if you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, to drive the car of your body and mind, then do it now with me. Lord, I welcome you. I call you Lord because you are the King. You are the King of my life. I want you to decide what's right for me, for you to declare what I need to do. Don't want to be a self-made person. I want you to transform me into your likeness. Oh, Jesus, we love what you do. We're so grateful that you're here with us. I want to open up a little bit and just allow you, if you can feel God's spirit kind of leading you towards a neighbor or somebody, just place your hand gently on them and just ask, come Lord Jesus. In Aramaic, the Jewish people, they used to pray after he returned to heaven. They used to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Our Lord come. That's what it kind of literally means. And sometimes that's the best prayer. The simple one that just says, Lord, come, show up. Do what you do.
That's right. Like that song says, we want more. We say yes to that. And can I just encourage you again in whatever circumstance you might be finding yourself in, whatever the prayer that you might have been praying for yourself, the breakthrough that you're longing to see, it may be in your life or maybe in someone else's life that you've been praying for. Let's pray that prayer together. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's prophesy that and say, come, Lord Jesus. Wow, awesome. We also have some exciting news to share with you about our Christmas service for this year, 2022. That's right, you heard it right. Christmas service 2022 is on the 11th of December at Holy Trinity School. It will be at three o'clock in the afternoon. We won't be meeting in the morning that Sunday, the 11th of December, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Imagine all the Christmas cheer you could possibly imagine. We've got our children planning and practicing things that they're going to be presenting on the day. And we have beautiful carols that we're going to be singing, uh, some great fun Christmas food is going to be available. So let's be there. Let's not miss out. Bring a friend, bring a family member who hasn't been to church in a while. And it will be a great moment that we can all get together as one big family on the 11th of December at 3 p.m. in the afternoon at Holy Trinity School. God bless you. And if you want any more details or you want to stay in touch with us or get in touch with us, you can email connect at prayerhouse.com. UK. Connect at prayerhouse.uk. If you want to know more about the church, visit our website prayerhouse.uk. God bless you. <laughs>